And so we're starting a sermon series called Where Are You? Turn to your neighbor and say, where are you? <laughs> Don't answer. I'm right here. Um, God, you know, you heard me say this last week. In fact, I'm going to marry last week's to, message to this week. God um, taught us through David that we can have this genuine friendship. I mean, nearness with God, which is just unbelievable to me. And um, I, I ran out of time last week to share this portion. Uh, and I, I thought, man, it goes so well with where I wanted to go with Adam and Eve. So before we go to Adam and Eve, um, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel 11. 2 Samuel 11. And we're going to talk about kind of an infamous story from David's life. It was most certainly his weakest moment. As you know, we celebrated David's life a lot last week, his, his role as king, his, his role as a friend of God, and just an amazing example of what it means to love Jesus. But he definitely had a, a weak moment. I believe it was after blessing. It, the scripture actually says there was a lot of victories won. He had won victory, battle after battle, battle after battle. And, you know, in, I want to say, we're going to dive right in quick. Um, one of the times you might be most tempted is right on the heels of a lot of victory and blessing, right? So just kind of log that in the back of your mind that a lot of times you're not tempted the most in the valley when things are going bad. You're tempted the most when everything's going good, right? So we'll get to that. So David certainly wasn't perfect. History painted him as accurately as this passionate person. He was kind of all in um, or all out crazy. If he did something, he did it big, whether it's winning battles uh, each and every one, or wanting to build a tabernacle, getting all the provisions, and we know that was God's blessing, but getting all of that for a son to do so. And in your Bibles, in 2 Samuel 11, we find this, this time when David's character was tested. It, it actually tells us that it was, this, it was a time when kings were supposed to be out to battle, and that's very intentional, because right on the heels of that, it tells us that he looked over and he saw Bathsheba taking a bath on the roof, right? And so he's tempted and he's asked her, he asked for her and a friend actually says, no, you don't want to do that. She's married. And he says, well, get her anyway. So he ignores his friend's caution. And we're going to start with this. And we have another roaming child. So if that parent could come get that child, there is a family room on the right over there. And come on down, grab that child. Thank you. We love that child, though. We bless him in Jesus' name. He's just crawling. There. Oh, there he is. He found home. That was awesome. All right. Sorry, you can't. With a person like me, I'm ADD, so that's all right. This one act of sin, hear me, this one act of sin caused a domino effect inflicting harm on everyone in its path. All right, because here's what happened. And we're not going to read. I'm going to summarize it because I want to get to Adam and Eve. But he ignored his friend's warning. He slept with this woman. She becomes pregnant, and he realizes, man, I've got to, I've got to do something in case she's pregnant. And you know, she's not showing yet, of course. But he's thinking, well, how do I cover this up? And that's the first thing Satan wants you to do when you sin is to hide, to cover it up. So he invites Uriah, the woman's husband, to come home. And to sleep together. Now he's a, an honorable man. So while he comes home and takes the king's invitation, 
He says, I will not go sleep with my wife when my men are out sleeping in tents in the battlefield. And so David's like, oh, my plan is not working, right? And so he has Uriah put at the next day, at the next battle, at the front of the army at the most dangerous place. And he makes a point to say, make sure Uriah is put where the battle is the most fierce. So how many realize he was committing murder? So even though David didn't swing the sword, he committed murder. So now we have David committing adultery and then lying and then murder, right? So it dominoed effect. I want to point out three things that we're going to come back to at the end of the message. Number one, isolation, boredom, pride. These are warning signs. Today, while it's going to be a sermon, it's more of a teaching than a preaching, if you will, a sermon, because I want you to hear these things happen before David committed murder. So everybody say this with me. Isolation, boredom, pride. So let's start with boredom. Right? Yeah, you can keep that slide up right there. It's perfect. When we ignore what God has called us to do, we get lazy, we get bored. You've actually heard me say this before. Bored people do dumb things. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, I got this Uncle Rick. No, I'm talking to you. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say he's talking to you. You see, David was supposed to be out to battle. But... He neglected his calling. And when you're bored, you start to gossip, you start to fill the time with things that you shouldn't be filling the time with. I love this quote. I know I've, heard, I've used it in a sermon before, but Blake Pascal, a renowned mathematician and theologian, he wrote, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Think about that for a minute. And are we not living in a society that is restless, that has to be entertained? I mean, how many would at least even just nod your head at me that you get in an elevator, you've got 45 seconds and you pull out your phone, right? I'm not saying phones are evil. Don't just, I, phones are great. I use my phone all the time. Talk to people, plan things, work on things. But we have to be careful because if you constantly, let me say it like this, you don't have to feel the need to fill the need, okay? Just be a friend of God. Just at times, let the silence be good because you're standing with your friend Jesus. Does that make sense? Sometimes you just need to be still, right? Know that God is with you, that you're not alone, but don't be bored. Don't lose your wonder of God's goodness, and because he lost his wonder, he started to wonder, like the hymn says, right? So don't lose the wonder of knowing Jesus, his friendship, his nearness, his power, his ability to save. When you get bored, be careful. Again, I would guess, I don't know, Scripture doesn't tell us, but I would guess that David's quiet time in the morning started to suffer before he did this. You guys get what I'm saying? I would guess that if he looked at the last two months, he was too busy 
to have devotion time, to have prayer time. Right? Don't lose the wonder of friendship with Jesus. I love what Jesus said even. Think about this. He's, he's our example of friendship with God. How many times did he say this? My satisfaction, my joy, he words it, comes from doing the will of my Father. From being busy doing the will of my Father. So don't be bored. Don't be isolated. Because his friend tells him you don't want to do that. And if there's ever a time too when people are isolated. I actually had a guy use that word on the phone with me this week. Not knowing what I was preaching on. He said, I'm just so isolated. Listen, isolation is a warning sign. So you got to ask yourself, when is the last time somebody asked me a hard question? Right? When's the last time someone loved me enough, like in a life group or, in a, or just in my one-on-one my -on -one with a friend, you know? When's the last time even maybe my spouse and I had a good hard conversation where I was on, well, if you're not doing that, you're isolating yourself. You're isolating yourself. You guys, you guys still with me? So quiet today. All right. And pride. Well, if we can invite Charles Spurgeon to the table and ask him to talk about this idea of being tempted when we're bored, forgetting what Christ has done for us. I want to read this. This is from a devotional he wrote in 1896. Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling? 2 Timothy 1.9. The apostle uses the perfect tense and says, who has saved us? Believers in Christ Jesus are saved. They're not only locked in as persons who are in a hopeful state and they will ultimately be saved, but they're already saved. And salvation is not a blessing to be enjoyed upon a dying bed, but to be sung in a future state above, but a matter to be obtained now, received, promised, and enjoyed now, the Christian is perfectly saved in God's purpose. God ordained him unto salvation. That purpose is complete. He is saved also as the price that has been paid for him. It is finished was the cry of our Savior when he died. The believer is perfectly saved in this covenant head. For as he fell in Adam, so he lives in Christ. And we're going to talk about Adam in a moment. This complete salvation is accompanied by a holy calling. I want you to hear this part. A holy calling. Those whom the Savior saved upon the cross are in due time effectually called by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, unto holiness. Not out of compulsion, but from the stress of a new nature that's within, which leads them to rejoice in holiness. Everybody say rejoice. And by the way, let me just interject something. If I could just interrupt. You never want to interrupt Charles Spurgeon. If he was here, I probably wouldn't do that. But... There's a joy, you know there's a joy and a beauty in holiness? I promise you. You see, the reason so many people, Christians, are disgruntled in life, because they don't step all the way into holiness. They're only halfway in. Well, that right there will tell you, you're, you're, you're in a place of being double-minded. So choose holiness, not out of compulsion, but from the stress of a new nature, which leads you to rejo rejoice in holiness God neither chose them or called them because they were holy, but he called them that they might be holy. How many have been called holy by God? Right? Only three of you. Come on. How many of you have been called holy into holiness by God? Raise your hand if you know Jesus. He called you into holiness. Amen. Is it, this is the beauty produced by his workmanship in them. The excellencies which we see in a believer are as much the work of God as the atonement itself. 
Thus is brought out very sweetly the fullness of the grace of God. Salvation must be of grace because the Lord is the author of it. And what motive but grace could move him to save the guilty? Salvation must be of grace because the Lord works in such a manner that our righteousness is forever excluded. Such is the, the believer's privilege, a present salvation. This is the evidence he is called to, a holy life. Now, I know I've been challenging you a lot this last month to walk in holiness, but I can't shake this thing that God, I think, wants to do at Rock of Grace. He's calling us to deeper levels of holiness. Amen for what's to come. Great spot for an amen. All right. We're all called to live a life of holiness. And let me put this on the screen. If we are to be holy, and if our lives are to glorify God, then we've got to be heeding the voice of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit will stop you from jealousy, from pride, from gossip. Right as you're about to say, oh, did you know that she thinks that about it? The Holy Spirit will say, oh, stop, stop. You don't need to say that. Right before pride is building in your heart and you, you're about to, you know, give yourself accolades, the Holy Spirit will say, keep your mouth shut. Anybody else? All right, I'm trying to make it real for you today. The Holy Spirit calls you into holiness and the Holy Spirit called David into holiness and he avoided it. Now hear me, the Holy Spirit first spoke to him, Ramah. You know God spoke to him right here. And then God spoke to him through a person. I find it interesting, a lot of Christians are willing to change only at the voice of God through themselves, but not at the voice of God through another believer. God will speak to you and change you and take you into the season and into holiness and into what he has for you through other people. I hope you're hearing, this is not part of my sermon, I just really feel the Holy Spirit right now. In fact, can I share a story with you yesterday? Yeah, um, not, can I share a story yesterday, but can I share a story today about yesterday? Okay. Some of you are like, well, <laughs> okay. I walked into Mocha House, it was 8.30 in the morning to meet this pastor. And I got to tell you, I was barely awake. And, uh, but God just like stepped into the conversation. How many know, how many love those moments? Like we're just sitting there and he's talking and this is the first time I've ever met him. And I start to share with him. I said, I just feel like God wants to tell you. And it was so cool. He goes, He's his pastor, and he goes, I said, are you okay? And he goes, <laughs> he goes, God is right here. And God blessed him, and then guess what? God turned around and then blessed me through him. And he prophesied to me very specific things, and the prophetic was new to him. He, he told me that right there that, in that morning. And that's what I was prophesying to him about, was hearing the word of God and, and, and prophecy. And, and he turned around, and then he prophesied to me, and like I walked around, we were both so encouraged so encouraged, and here we're new brothers. Isn't it amazing the body of Christ? The first time I met him, and it felt like I've known him for 30 years. How many know you have a brother and sister in the Lord? Can you just look around and look at the body of Christ? Do you value this body? I hope you value this, this, this group of believers. You guys are awesome. I don't know about you guys so much, but you guys right here. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I just, my heart breaks when people, when people take church like, nah, maybe I'll go next month. Listen, you need this. You need the body of Christ. I love what Dr. Tony Evans says. 
He said, you know, no, being in church doesn't make you a Christian, but just like your marriage, if you didn't come home for a month, you might end up having some trouble. I don't know who that was for, but somebody online. All right, here we go. Just kidding. All right, God is so entertaining me lately. Think about this prayer. Think about Jesus saying, lead me not into temptation. Because I know what some of you are thinking right now, and because I've heard these kind of comments over the years, but pastor, you don't know. You don't know how hard it is to break this addiction, or I've just always been like this, and my dad has always been like that, and that's just the way I am. No, you can pray, and you say, well, how do I pray? The disciples asked Jesus the same question. You know what Jesus said? Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil, Right? For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, putting your attention on God. So I want you to look at this. I know it's more of a teaching today, but I felt like God said there's a process of shame that some people live in. And so I want to put up two options for you. The first one, the progress of sin and shame. Here we go. The lie, the lie. The lie is that God isn't trustworthy and holding something good from you. The temptation is to then believe that and take what Satan is offering. Sin, right? So you sin. And then what follows sin? Everybody say shame. What follows shame? Everybody say separation. All right? And then what do we call heaven and hell? We call hell eternal separation from a holy God. Now look at this other process. Look at this other process. The lie, same. That God isn't good. That he's holding something good from you. So you're tempted to believe that lie. And we're going to break this down in a few people's lives that we're going to see today. All right, you sin, then there's shame, and we feel that, we feel convicted. But here's the thing, then there's invitation from the Holy Spirit. And now when you hear this voice that says, and I know you've heard this teaching before, but I just, I feel so compelled to say this to you today. If you hear this voice that says, God doesn't want to talk to you, well, that's condemnation, that's Satan. But if you hear this voice that says, oh, I miss you. You know, I miss seeing you. I miss our time together with your Bible open. I miss our time together, right? That's an invitation from the Holy Spirit. So you repent of your sin, and then what do you have? Reconciliation. You have friendship with God. So I want to look at three people, and the first one might surprise you. first one might surprise you. Um, Lucifer, right? So I'm going to go off script for just a minute, Evie. I'm going to jump ahead, but... You don't need to advance the slides yet. We'll go to David in just a moment. Lucifer, it says, um, was kicked out of heaven. He's Satan. We call him Satan now. But he was an angel of light. I was was rereading all the scriptures about Lucifer this last week. And Isaiah uh, says that he was the chief musician. Ezekiel says that he was the chief musician, this angel of light. And he was, in other words, he was put in charge of some things in heaven. In fact, you have to think, if he brought a third of the angels with him, he probably had... Uh, some influence, right? But think about this. Think about this, guys. The lie that Satan tells you is the same lie Satan believed. God had given him influence, beauty, position. Look at that. And he said it wasn't enough. And anytime you sin, what you're believing is what God has given you is not enough. I want to say that again because I'm going to say that's the heart of the sermon. I want you to hear this today. Anytime you and I sin, what what you're doing is you're believing that what God has given you is not enough. So Satan said, you know, it's not enough. 
He said, I will ascend. I will be like God and I will ascend to the heavens and I will be worshiped, right? So God says no and he kicks him out of heaven. But turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel. You know what, we'll skip those next five slides because I summarized that whole passage, Evie. We'll go right to Adam and Eve. Go to Genesis, Genesis 1. Apologize, I'm making it difficult on the tech team, forgive me. Go to Genesis 1, verse 26. Genesis 1, you're going to see a similar pattern here. Now, as you're turning there, I want you to, I want you to hear something that I heard um, a pastor, I can't remember who, uh, a pastor say a year or two ago that I had never seen before. How many of you, when you read Genesis, you've pictured like a serpent talking to Adam and Eve? Like, anybody, is it just me? Just me and Olivia? Wow, thanks. Everybody's just, they're just making us feel dumb, Olivia. All right, come on, be honest. How many of you guys have ever pictured, and that could very well be, but I want you to notice something. God's curse to Satan to crawl on his belly is after they sinned. So he could have still been a very, very beautiful creature. Isn't that interesting? Because it followed the sin that he said, you will crawl on your belly for the rest of your days. So turn to Genesis 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Isn't that interesting? He gave them that dominion. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant. Everybody say every plant. I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. I mean, you can almost hear a little bit of sarcasm there. Every plant on the face of the planet is yours. Every tree with its fruit, you will have them for food. Now skip down to Genesis 2, verse 8. For the sake of time, we're going to skip a couple things. Genesis 2, verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God made it to spring up every tree that is pleasant and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I know, I don't know how many of you were here a couple years ago and I had a Sharpie board or a dry erase board up here uh, with two trees. Everybody say two trees. So there's two trees. I know you, you might picture one from Sunday school days, but there's two trees, okay? And we'll talk about the other one in just a moment. So skip down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. I love that, by the way. Anytime a, anytime a man, I can tell he's trying to get out of work and he, and he says, no, I'm just going to let the government provide for me. I say, actually, God created you to work before sin. Come on, everybody say, say, say amen. Come on, somebody nudge your, your lazy son. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Okay. <laughs> I don't know who that was for. All right. I lost my spot. Can you tell? God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. So again, there is joy in work because you do it unto the Lord. But that's a sermon for another day. And the Lord God commanded man saying, you shall uh, eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. All right, so skip down to verse or chapter 3. 
going to get the whole story here in one Sunday morning. Come on. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit trees in the garden. So she's like, no, he said we could eat of the trees. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it unless you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Now let me pause. Satan's lie and temptation always has some truth in it. Come on, if he came at you with horns and be like, follow me, <laughs> you'll, you'll be in a lot of pain and death. That's my one horn. Is it ter pretty terrible? Should have thought through that. He doesn't do that. He deceives you. He includes some truth. Because were their eyes opened? That's what Scripture says. Their eyes were opened. Then they did know about good and evil. But nonetheless, it didn't change the fact that God told him not to do it. He says, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree looked good for food, it was a delight to her eyes. The tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I find that interesting. They heard the sound of the Lord walking. How many realize they, God already walked with them? Friendship. Come on, everybody say friendship. Walking in the cool of the day. So their friend, God, who created them, is coming to them. What do they do? They heard the sound, and the man and his wife hid. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. How, how many of y'all realize you can't hide from God, by the way? I was playing hide-and-seek with Eden a few weeks ago, and she had her feet underneath the curtain, you know. Where are you? <laughs> I don't know. God knows where you are. So the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Fear and shame is always the place where Satan wants you. Fear and shame is always the place where Satan wants you. Look, I was afraid... Because I was naked and I hid myself. I love this. Who told you you were naked? It's like I told a friend, we were, I have a friend of mine and we do some mutual counseling to each other, encouragement and what's going on in our life. And, and, you know, she was telling me this story and it's like, who told you? Who told you to think that? Who told you to think that? Because the truth of the matter was the enemy had put something in her mind. Who told you? You turn to your neighbor and say, who told you? Don't include the naked part. Come on. Don't include the naked part. But look at him and say, who told you? Because you got to be careful who you're listening to. So this is the question God asks every man and woman, where are you? Skip down to verse 11. Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman, which of course is always funny. He blames the woman. You gave me, so he's blaming God too. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, well, why is it that you have, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. 
The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and on your dust, dust you will eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And this is a prophecy about Jesus. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Right? So, so Jesus has his, his feet, his heels bruised on the cross. But how many know when the blood of Jesus came off the cross and hit the ground, it, it bruised his head. Amen? It crushed him. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, and so we read that, verse three, or chapter 3, verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Isn't that interesting? The Lord God made the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become one of us in knowing good and evil. Let us reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat forever. So he's saying, I don't want him to reach out and also grab the tree of life forever. Now think about that because he's in a fallen state. Because if he eats the tree of life uh, forever, he'll live forever. It literally says he'll live forever. Do you know God's, God's listen, God's banishment from Eden was because he loved him. God's banishment, God's punishment was to protect him from remaining in a fallen state forever. How many know that when God corrects you and sometimes you feel like, why am I going through this junk? Maybe, just maybe, God is protecting you from something that is worse than what you're going through. Amen? How many know that as a parent, sometimes you, 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 do, you draw the hard line because you're protecting? Amen? And so... Again, talking about Satan, Satan was an angel of heaven who one day desired to be worshipped, to be like God. So I'm not going to read from Isaiah 14, but if you've got notes, you're taking notes, just write down Isaiah 14, Revelation 9, 1. Both reiterate this truth. And Ezekiel and Luke 10, 18. Jesus is teaching about authority. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now why do I bring up a context of Satan, because you need to know this. This will be on the screen. Satan's goal is to get revenge at God by convincing you not to trust him. If you forget the entire message, please don't forget that. Satan's goal is to get revenge at God by convincing you not to trust him. Do you know God is trustworthy? Do you know God is trustworthy? God is so good. God knows what you need. God knows the desires of your heart, and God is trustworthy. You see, the lie is that God is withholding something good from you, that you need something else. And this was true of Lucifer, of Adam and Eve, and of David. Again, think about Satan. His name was Lucifer. He's the chief musician. He's given this role. He's given this beauty. It says he was adorned. Ezekiel says he was adorned with many jewels. But it wasn't enough. Everybody say it wasn't enough. Then you have Adam and Eve. They're given all of these trees, all of these fruit plants in the garden. Listen, think about what God has created. Everybody just close your eyes for a minute and just think about the myriad of trees and fruit in the world. Think about that. Just think, just imagine for a minute. Thousands of acres of trees and fruit. Only one God said not to touch. Okay, open your eyes. You know, how many realize God gave them pretty good odds to do the right thing? But what did Satan convince them? It wasn't enough. 
Do you know the majority of the Ten Commandments say the same thing? Think about it. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't think I don't have enough with my wife. Don't covet your neighbor's possessions. Because in that lie, you're thinking, I don't have enough possessions. There's four of the Ten Commandments deal with wanting something God hasn't given you. God has given you everything you need for right living. You see, God is constantly asking mankind, why are you hiding from me? God is constantly asking mankind, where are you? Can you guys all say this on the screen with me today? God is constantly asking, where are you? Do you know when you're stuck in some little cycle of shame and like David, you've, you've sinned and you're hiding from God and now you're trying to cover it up, do you know God's going, where are you? I'm right here. I'm right here. Where are you? Why are you avoiding me? But you have to realize Satan... Satan, the Bible says, when I was rereading in Isaiah 14, you know what the bottom of that passage says when it describes Satan? It says, he is the one that the nations will look upon and say, is this the one? I'm going to insert the PJV. Is this the little twerp that deceived the nations? This? This little one? Is the, this is the one that deceived the nations? How many of you guys know Satan is so, he's so much less powerful than you think. He just convinces you. He convinces you to stay in your shame, to avoid God, avoid church, avoid Christian friends, avoid your praying grandma. Come on, somebody got a praying grandma? Everybody's got to have a praying grandma, right? Avoid, isolate, distract yourself. I want to give you some scripture to fight back the lie of shame. And we're going to have communion together, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray together. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter verse 1, or chapter 1. If you got your Bibles, turn there or scroll there in your Bible app, 2 Peter 1, starting with verse 2. Listen to this. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus. His divine power has granted to us all things. Everybody say all things. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Now, I know that was a mouthful, so let me say it again. His divine power granted to us all things. So don't believe the lie that God is withholding something good from you. Don't believe the lie that if you just had something else, you'd be happy. Are you with me this morning? Are you hearing that? Because that's what Lucifer said. Even though you've given me all this, I don't have enough. I will ascend and I will. So he comes down to earth. He's cast to earth. And he tells Adam and Eve the same thing. You know, God didn't really say that. The truth is... 
If you eat it, you'll actually be as elevated as he is. He's withholding something from you. Look at this. By which he granted to us precious, the very promises, so that through them you can become partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of the sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, listen to this, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And this is the most important line. For whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted. He is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed already from his former sins. I, I'm going to come down here to make sure you get it. Because this is really exciting. Satan offers you a lie. He tells Adam and Eve, if you'll just ignore that rule from God, you'll be like God. But it's a twisted motive. You'll have as much power as God. But when Jesus comes, he comes to make you like God. Come on, right? He comes to make you a child of God. Jesus says, everything I have, I give to you. I'm going to be your brother. Me and you, we're going to live in the same father's house. Everything I have. In fact, you're going to walk around doing greater things than I have done. My righteousness is your righteousness. Isn't that amazing? But Satan twists that. Satan twists that and says, well, it's not enough. It's not enough. You still have, you, you, want, you, know, you want this. But there's a proper perspective that says, no, God is God, and I am not. No, God has all the power, and I really don't know what I'm doing. No, God knows what he's doing, and when I'm in charge, I make a mess of things. Right? And so, but I am going to let God define me by his righteousness. Because he has given me a divine nature. And in that divine nature, I reject sin. In that divine nature, I have a joy in holiness. So when the Holy Spirit tells me, don't talk like that about my Christian brother or sister, when the Holy Spirit tells me, don't look at that lustful thing, then I hear that voice and I say, amen. I agree with you, God. And in that, I have a joy in friendship with God. Are you with me? I'm walking in the cool of the day, like Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day. And what makes all of this possible? The blood of Jesus. Jesus comes to die not only for you, but as you. I'm going to have the ushers pass out communion. I'm going to have the band come up. Because I want you to hear this. Jesus not only dies for you, he dies as you. And he gives you rightful position in heavenly places. You know what I always think of? And maybe I'm a cheese ball. Maybe it's because I, I, love, I love story. I love theater. You think about Narnia. Yes, I'm going to go to Narnia again. What was the lie 
that was given to Edmund? Shame. Everybody say shame. Right? Because the great white witch tempts him, and then what does she do? Then she accuses him to feel shame and separation, even though she's the one who tempted him. And Satan will tempt you to sin and to want things and take things that are not freely given to you. And in that moment, there is the lie of shame. And I hope you hear me today because I, I felt so strongly in my spirit that there's some of you that are Christians. You love God, but you're living in shame. Please hear me. There's some of you that today, if you think of the last seven days and the way your mind was thinking, it was from the lens of shame. Your head was down. You're thinking, I just can't believe I'm not as good. And you're comparing yourself to others. You're falling into all those traps Satan's giving you. He's reminding you of things that you did five years ago or 10 years ago or even 20 years ago. I know, I know that I know that that's, that's what's going on at Rock of Grace today. I know that I know that there's some of you today that you love God, but you, like 2 Peter, have forgotten that Jesus already cleansed you of your sins. Come on. He already cleansed you of your sins. He already said you're perfectly holy. You're mine. And you say, yeah, but you don't know. I had a bad thought last week. And Jesus says, I already forgave you of it. Remember, you felt bad. And remember, you talked to me and it's clean. It's clean. And so again, Satan wants you to live in shame. Satan wants you to say, you know what? You don't even deserve, don't even lift your hands in worship today. Don't lift your hands. Don't talk to God. Remember that bad thought you had? Come on, I mean, nod along, you know what I'm talking about. Right? Has everybody been served? I want you to grab that bread. I want you to hold it up. And I want you to say, thank you, Jesus that you took my shame, that you were mocked, you were ridiculed, you were spit upon, you were beaten, and you took my shame so I could be glorified. You were shamed so I could be glorified, so I could be lifted up. You were crucified so I could walk free. After you thanked him, go ahead and partake. Now take that juice. Represents the blood of Jesus Christ. We're gonna pass this out. When Jesus was with his disciples, guys, you have to understand something. He was looking them in the eyes over that last supper and he was making them promises about a future day of a celebration, a wedding feast of the lamb. I talked about this last time we had communion where he said, I will not drink of the vine again until we are together in my father's house. And that was exactly like the American way of saying till death do us part for better or for worse. That was the Jewish custom. There's a, a phrase, a cultural phrase. He used three cultural phrases in that moment to indicate me and you, we're gonna be married together in my father's house. 
Now, I know for some of you guys, you're like, I don't get it. I can't be married to Jesus. I don't get it. But listen, let God reveal that to you, that you're going to be in right standing with God. And if you're thinking, well, I can't be, then you're still listening to the lie of shame. Please hear me. If you're thinking, I can't be, Pastor Jordan, you don't know my history, then you're listening to the lie of shame. And today, God is going to break the lie of shame and fear. And I'm so glad when, when they were singing this song earlier, Tremble, I felt like this song is so perfect for the sermon. So we're going to go back into that song in just a moment. How many of you guys realize the lie of shame? Everybody just do this with me with your free hand. I know you got, hopefully you got two hands there. Yeah, just do this. That little punk. Somebody, any of you just want to punch Satan in the face? Come on. That little lie of shame that says, you know, you probably, God doesn't even want you at church today. You know, don't, don't go to life group. I mean, really everybody's more spiritual there than you. Stupid lies. Come on, right? That Satan will put in your head. Shame. It's the lie of shame. It's the lie of separation. But what is it that reconciles you to God? The blood of Jesus Christ. Come on, take that juice and hold it up. And I want you to say, thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Come on, thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you stand up to your feet? I feel like this is a time of worship. Come on, hold it up. Say, thank you, Jesus, for the blood that washes me white as snow. Thank you, Jesus. You remove the shame. Come on, tell him, you remove the shame. You remove the separation. You bring me back into friendship. You give truth that dispels the lie. After you've thanked him, go ahead and partake. Thank you, Lord. Now here's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate this again, that God brings peace in the storm surrounding me, these lyrics, as you hear this, I want you to set your heart and your mind on the goodness of God, on the goodness of God, that God calls you righteous. God calls you his child. Amen? His child. Let's sing this together. Darkness. You make the darkness tremble. 
Just, I see in my spirit some of you that um, at night, I, I just hear this, I hear the word torment. You've had some torment at night and you've even been afraid to tell like your spouse or a friend that it feels like an evil spirit. You've felt like evil in the room. And I want you to say that's not, you, you don't need to be afraid to say that. It's happened to me before. And so I want you to bow your heads. If you say, that's me, I've had some torment lately where I, f I feel a fear or a heaviness that I know I shouldn't have in my house. Raise your hand nice and high. Come on, I know there's at least 10 or 20 of you. Yeah, yep. Come on, raise your hand one more time because what you're saying is, God, I need help. So here's what we're gonna do. We're all gonna declare that. We're all, in fact, we're gonna pray with me. You're gonna pray and you're gonna prophesy with me the rest of the body. All right? And if you raise your hand, I, I, don't, I don't want you to uh, speak right now. I want you to just open your hands like to receive this. So the rest of the body, say this with me. Say, I declare peace and I declare Jesus has full authority in your home. Jesus has full authority in your home. Now, come on, let's all say this together. Everybody that had your hands raised and everybody in the church, say, Jesus... You have full authority in my home. Fear cannot stay. Shame cannot stay. Anxiety cannot stay. Insomnia cannot stay. Fear cannot stay. Jesus. How many know I want to tell you when that happens, just say the name Jesus. Just say the name Jesus. I'm telling you, that's, listen. The demonic world is real. 
And I'm not trying to scare you because Jesus has all authority over it. I'm trying to encourage you. Jesus has all authority over that. So when you know, and you know that you know, you know right here that that's, that's, this is a real thing. It's not my feelings. It's a, it's, it's a supernatural thing. Why do I have this fear and this ickiness? Listen, say Jesus out loud. In that moment, say, Jesus, you have full authority in this house. You have full authority. And take authority. Take dominion. Just like Adam had dominion. Come on, take dominion. Take back what is freely given to you, the peace of God, the goodness of God. Amen? Amen. Can everybody just bow your heads? And this girl in the red shirt, three rows back, I just want to prophesy to you real quick. Everybody just bow your heads. Yeah, I see you just waved at me. Just wave at me so I know that you see me. Yeah. I just want to bless your spirit. I know I've seen you before, and I, I can't recall your name, but I know we met a while back. But I just want to bless you. I feel like you just need to hear God thinks you are so awesome. There are times in your past when you felt picked last, like there's a group, like almost like a 12-year-old. And others were picked to go on the team and you weren't picked. And there's times when lately in your mind you go back to those moments and you say, oh, I wasn't picked. Well, I wasn't picked. And God says, I pick you. You're on my team. You're on my team. Hey, He's getting your attention. He says, you're on my team. I pick you. He says, I want you. You're wanted. You're loved. And I hear, I want to I come back to the 12-year-old thing. I feel like you were 12 when it really started to feel that. And I want God, I want you to hear God say, hey, I was there with you. And he, he, he even felt that pain with you. He loves you so much. And that even made him sad. The thing is, he doesn't get in and control and stop people, though, because we live in this fallen world. But he says, I love you. I pick you. You're mine. You're on my team. And hey, guess what? That's the winning team. He loves you so much. Can we just stretch our hands towards this way? Say, if I prophesy with me, say, I bless you. You are loved. You're a princess. You're a daughter of King Jesus. Amen. Hey, before we leave, before we leave, I want to turn the lights up. If you don't mind in the booth, thank you. And I want you guys to turn around and I want you to find one person. Lock eyes with them. Get awkward and Pentecostal. Look them right in the eye. And I want you to bless them. And I want you to start, though, I want you to hear this really clear instruction. I want you to start by saying, I rebuke shame. You're going to all be on the prayer team today. Okay? So I was going to have the prayer team come up. But I just, in fact, I still want to have the prayer team come up. And go to the sides because there are some of you that might want some extra prayer today. But for the rest of you that don't go to the prayer team, please don't miss this instruction. Find someone. Guys, find a guy. Girl, find a girl. Look them in the eye and say, I rebuke shame and I bless you with and fill in the blank. And if you say, well, I don't know what to say, God will tell you what to say. Trust me. It's not rocket science. God will tell you what to say. It'll be peace. It'll be joy. It'll be some word that he'll give you, okay? I rebuke shame, and I bless you with, and fill in the blank.